Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. Your host, Michael Fregan and Phil Goldfeder here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on Sheva is on National News slash radio. And uh, Phil, we got a lot to talk about. There's just, wow, it's a big agenda. Uh, the number one thing going on in Washington right now, obviously, is the stall of the health care bill in the Senate. Uh, it, it's not, nothing more to say other than the Republicans have a long laundry list of items that they need to tackle and not things are just not getting done i don't know i don't know how else to say it. so much so when you talk about things not getting done i know we've talked about lack of personnel issues and pe- positions not being filled at the upper reaches of the administration it kind of goes along with just a muddled agenda uh, apparently according to politico uh, rex tillerson blew up at the director of white house personnel john stefano stefano i think and uh and in front of, I think, Ryan's Priebus and Jared Kushner. And believe it or not, Jared Kushner called Rex Tillerson unprofessional. Um, I can think of a lot of things about Rex Tillerson that adjectives, I think, I, most of them are good because I have to say, I mean, he, he just seems to be, have, he seems to be under supported by this White House, not just in the fact that he goes out there and says something and the White House contradicts him, but also the fact that he hasn't been able to get staff. And it's probably legitimate for the fact that he can go into the White House and say, hey, where is my staff? And then they call him unprofessional. This is the guy who ran ExxonMobil, the world's probably one of the largest inter- multinational, international companies around the world, probably uniquely suited for this job. And, uh, well, whatever. He's the unprofessional one. Yeah, you know, I'm going to shift gears just a bit. Uh, I'm sure it'll come right back. I'm going to shift gears because I think this is uh, less of a question this week about the White House. And, and we could talk about how the president called, you know, after championing the House health care bill, the ah, president called it mean. Well, first he had the beer garden, the beer summit and uh, where everybody came together to celebrate their great accomplishment and then only to come back and call it mean. Um and then sort of saying, well, the Senate bill, that's the one that has the heart and, and it's the real, the real great bill. But I want to put that aside for a minute and talk about in, in 2009 and 2010 and when, when the Affordable Care Act was going through. And, and unfortunately, whether you like it or you don't like it, the process was, was not a great one. And you're seeing the Republicans almost replicate sort of some of the worst parts of that, prop, that process, right? Now, we're not talking about, you know, again, I don't want to compare. It's not, you know, we're not talking about the exact same thing. And, and the Republicans are not doing the exact same thing the Democrats are doing. And I don't want to, I don't want to show my, my Democratic labels too much to say, well, in 2009, 2010, the system and the process was a bit better. But I don't even want to get into that. I want to talk about, ultimately, the kind of beginning of the end for the Democratic Party in this country in 2009, 2010. I mean, if you take a look at since then, right? What's happened in the House and what's happened in the Senate and what's happened with the presidency and the fact that the Democrats across the country are getting decimated. I'm not saying, look, I want to be clear. I'm not saying it's because of that, but I think people were kind of turned off with sort of the backroom dealing and, and, and cutting a deal for this senator and cutting a deal for that senator and making sure we can appease this one with this thing and appease that one. And you come together this, with this hodgepodge piecemeal sort of just big uh, you know, soup of everything mixed in. Think in Albany, they call it the big ugly. The big ugly. In Albany, they call it the big ugly. And that's kind of at what least, we're... At least they admit what it is. That's exactly right. And so that's kind of what we're coming up here. And I just, you know, to all to all of your Republican friends, Michael, I hope you're imploring them, it didn't work out so well for the Democrats. And as we know, historically, the first midterm election after a, a you know, again, Democrat or Republican, but the first midterm election historically has always gone to the other party. 
right? It's always gone. So if we have a Republican in the White House now, the first midterms generally will will slant towards, in this case, 2018, towards the Democrats. The president is definitely not helping. And I don't think congressional leaders are helping either. I think Chuck Schumer doesn't even have to say anything. I think he could just sit back and watch these guys continue to implode. We saw it play you, you out in the hope, House. Though. You hope that. But it actually, right now, and a lot of Republicans can take solace in the fact that it actually isn't happening on the electoral map. No, you no, no, think, stop, I stop. understand special elections, but the truth is, the truth is, had one of them, one of these seats, okay, and you could chalk every race is local, but that's what it comes down to. Every race, so everybody has their own considerations. Dean Heller in Nevada has different considerations than somebody else. Rural health care is different. And that's the problem with cobbling together a national bill about really something that's in fundamentally a local issue. I mean, the bottom line is the way health care is delivered, the way services are delivered, government services are delivered should vary on a state-by-state basis. It actually should vary, in some cases, in a county-by-county basis. Uh, you know, it's it so, not one size doesn't fit all. Yeah, but we said this a long time ago. I remember the first congressional election right after the right after uh, President Trump uh, took office. It was the first one. And I forget who it was. I forget where it was. And it was like, oh, this is the one. Now we'll know if the president is still favorable mm-hmm. or he's falling out of favor already. And, and I said it then and I said it last uh, two weeks ago. The bottom line is it is too soon to tell. You cannot use these special elections. It's like, ooh, you see, the Republicans are really strong. And and it, it is zero. I want to be clear. Zero indication as to what's going to happen in 2018. Uh, agreed. I think the Republicans are not – they have a lot to be nervous about. And the fact is I was actually going to say that having won this string of special elections, the White House – and last night Trump, uh, the president, was at his first campaign fundraiser for the Trump 2020, and think about that. He was had at $30,000 or $35,000 a plate at the Trump International Hotel in Washington. Uh, we'll leave aside the potential for self-dealing there and potential uh, conflicts of interest. Uh, I don't even want to get into those anymore because they seem to have totally on the back burner with everything else going on in Washington. But he talked it and he crowed about the fact that they're winning every election. The problem is, is once you're unable to spend $50 million on a single House seat or $20 million, as the Republicans did, Paul Ryan is not going to be able to take $7 million from his own pack and spend money. The Republicans have a lot to be nervous about. There are, I think, 21 seats, 21 seats held by Republicans right now in the House that Hillary Clinton won. And I don't have the feeling, and anybody could say, I mean, the president is not that popular in a lot of these swing districts. And if Republicans get swept out of all these swing districts, they're done. Right, and so, again, on the flip side, the Senate is, is kind of similarly situated the opposite way. And here's the thing, this is meant to be, and all the pundits and talking heads will tell you, this is meant to be a Republican, 2018 is meant to be a Republican year in the Senate. And quite frankly, I'm starting to think that what, what the Republican leadership in the Senate is doing right now, what the president is doing right now, is going to decimate the Republicans in 2018. And that's in the Senate, where I think the Republicans definitely have an edge right now, and the House, where I think, you know, it's, it's really up for grabs. You know, I, I don't... I can only say this. 
I'm going to say this. If you're gonna, chuckling already before you say it, that we really... Uh, no, it's it's sort of like well, the definition of, of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, right? The Republicans are taking the play out of the Democratic playbook from 2009, <laughs> 2010, and expecting it to work differently somehow. Like, somehow, when they're done with health care, there's going to be a big kumbaya moment, and all across the country, somehow people are going to rejoice. You know what it's going to do? The only thing it's going to do, it's going to check a box on, box on the president's card. I repealed and replaced Obamacare. That's all it will do. In terms of healthcare, and this is not Phil Goldfeder, the Democrat, talking. This is like talking about the, what the CBO said it will do, what Republican, um, what Republican conservatives are saying it's going to do. Quite frankly, people are literally just are not on board anymore. I mean, if you you over the last well, couple even, of days, well, even the truth is when it comes to healthcare, it seems as you mentioned before, even the president is not totally on board with the House version. And then he goes, and then he tries the the problem. The problem here, well, the big problem here is if you're if you're a legislator, okay, you're a senator, you're a member of the House, it's and or you're their staff or you're their political advisor. I'll put myself in the political advisor's hat here. You actually the the uncertainty that you never know what the president is going to do, what he's going to say, what he's going to tweet, what the message is. He likes it, he doesn't like it. That could change from hour to hour. And not knowing that, not knowing you're going to have the cover, or somebody's going to have your back, or somebody's going to undermine you, that's impossible situation to put members in in politics. A- and when you put members in that situation, they. They, they, that's a recipe for inaction. The fact, the truth is that this House actually got this done and passed something in and of itself is shocking from my point of view because I didn't think it was going to happen. And so think about this, right? And so the House, the Freedom Caucus uh, torpedoes the first health care bill in the House and so that goes away. And all of a sudden the president, by the way, puts all the force of the White House to, listen guys and, and gals, we've got to get something done. Let's just pass something. So what do you need? And, and he was right. Need? And by the way, <laughs> they did have to get something done. Right. And so he, and he was right. And he did. And so they did. And so the House members basically said, OK, Mr. President, we will find a way. And Paul Ryan said, we will find a way to actually get something done. And to the extent that the president was very appreciative, they did a huge party on in the Rose Garden in front of the White House. They did a huge, huge party, basically celebrating their accomplishment only for all these members, by the way, and a lot of them. A lot of them, Michael, you know this, put themselves on the line, right? Like they're getting attacked already by Democrats in certain states for their vote and for for destroying, decimating health care. You're seeing it in campaign announcements. The first thing people are saying is, oh, I'm running because that member voted, you know, voted to to decimate our health care system and raise costs and so on. And so members are saying, oh, oh, gosh, I'm already taking heat on this. But like I did it for the president and he's going to have my back only for the president to essentially call what you did mean. And so that member, right? And it's not all of them because some of them are safe and some of them are in, are in easy states. But that member is thinking like, who's going to have my back? Yeah, I stood up when the president asked me to. You know, I took a vote that like, I don't know what it's going to do. And all of a sudden now, no one has my back. And Trump voters are not necessarily conservatives. And as I died, a lot of them are first time voters. Some, many of them are Democrats. A lot of that support doesn't come from the traditional Republican base. Some of it does. Some of it is Tea Party. But the fact is that Trump had an unusual coalition of voters. And we don't know. Nobody knows who's going to show up at the 2018 midterms and how that's going to 
how that's going to play out. Right now, I think there are still a lot of Republican voters who are, I mean, polling shows this, and you want to say you don't believe the polls, you don't do believe the polls. A lot of Republican voters still willing to give the party and give the president a pass for things not getting done. That might not last so long as 2017 becomes 2018. And when you go along for so long and you can start pointing the finger and saying, why isn't everything get done? The Republicans have the burden right now of owning the whole town. They have the House. They have the Senate. They have the White House. They should be able to get things done. And it's not happening. There's no health care reform there's no tax reform, and healthcare reform is itself is a mess. The proposal. There's no tax reform. There's no budget reform. We haven't. We aren't dealing with the debt. There's no infrastructure bill. All the things that need to, and you need to look no further. Government dysfunction. Then, if you're a New Yorker, and or New Jersey, the daily issues the at Penn Station. The fact is that. As citizens, we actually need government to work. And I'm not saying we need to spend billions of dollars in order to do it, but we need to be responsible. We need we want to make sure that the money is going to the right place. This is why it matters so much to people. This is why it's it's necessary for government actually to function and actually to do stuff and get stuff done. Because if you're if you need to get to your job, you're relying on government in some form to do it. And in order to make money, you need to do it. If you're a business, you rely on government to do it. And when government doesn't function, it's a big problem for everyone. I mean, and the pro- and as I said, I, I know I led with the Rex Tillerson thing, but it to me, it's a symbol of just dysfunction of the White House being unable, number one, to focus on multiple things at the same time, but also being unable to stay on message. What is the message? I mean, as you said, you don't know... Uh, the president comes out and calls it mean. He undermines you. He undermines his own staff. He undermines the 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 White House. The president's pack took out ads against a sitting senator, a Republican senator, who's up for re-election. Who, in theory, you want him to win. You need He's him to in win in 2018. Have. The state of Nevada, Dean Heller. You take out ads against him. This is your own party. I think Mitch McConnell actually had it right, and as he usually does, because he doesn't always speak so much. But when he does, he usually he know the man understands Washington. I think he just said this is colossally stupid, and it is. What are you doing, spending money against it? You're not going to get his vote that way. It just is not going to work. And I understand people don't want to have the sausage see the sausage made, but the truth is. Where do you see resistance to the GOP health care bill? It's from Maine, Susan Collins. It's from Lisa Murkowski in Alaska. These are places where health care is very expensive. Why? It's a big state. And I'm a, I prefer that everything be cheaper, but it doesn't and, always work. And so I, I, this is not in any way, I don't think, us predicting that it's not going to happen. Because I think a lot of us sort of put the, the, nail, the last nail in the coffin, coffin in the house only to see it resurrected again. And so, yes... While the Senate health care bill did get pulled, it's not going to get voted on today as, as initially planned. I think that there is some iteration, some backdoor dealings are going to be happening over the next week. And I think we're going to actually see a bill. But that's where it gets interesting again, right? Presumably, at some point, and I believe this is going to happen, the Senate's going to pass something, right? They're going to do something. And presumably, there's going to be a big celebration, probably at the White House, but big celebration only to essentially start this dance all over again in the House, right? Because the House bill is is thrown away, and we've got to start from scratch with this new Senate bill. And so we're going to start this again. And you're going to have to – you're not going to have the ability 
to appease the House Republicans like you were able to the first time because now you have to stand hard you have to stand hard and fast with these with this Senate bill right any changes that are made then would have to come back to the Senate and so it, it this process is is while I would say it's far from over is not a simple one and I think I think the Republicans and the president are going to be hard pressed because even assuming even assuming the Senate passes a bill the House House passes the same bill Let's say that the CBO somehow gives it like, you know, not devastating, uh, not devastating remarks. It's got to work because we're going to know real quick, quick. We're going to see the rhetoric. We're going to see the the numbers. We're going to have to know. We're going to know real quick whether it's something that is going to hurt or it's something that is going to help. And I just don't see how, how it how Well, as Rand Paul said, this process, healthcare reform, the the aim was to lower premiums. And that is what is killing the bill, that's what's killing Obamacare. That's what's killing the American people out there. I mean, annual premiums going up 14, 10, 14, every, over and over and over, over the last, you know, most people, a lot of people's health care has gone up over 50%. And But we have to switch gears from uh, a place of dysfunction like Washington, D.C. to a place of, of now function called Albany. Uh, Phil, the special session, explain to us what it means to be an extraordinary, have an extraordinary session. The legislature leaves. We talk about it. The mayor doesn't get what he wants. And now they're back. And now they're back, and they get everything done uh, in one fell swoop, or at least something's done. State legislative they're session. They're able to kick things, to kick the can down the road once again. So state legislative session state legislative session goes from January to sometime usually mid-June. Um, the governor has the ability and the power and the authority to force the state Senate and the state assembly back to Albany to, to take session on the floor. He can't force them to vote on a particular bill. However, he can force them to be in Albany. And so... So it's like a slow form of torture. <laughs> you said it, not me. Late Tuesday night... Um, Late, it was a late Tuesday night. The assembly and the, the state legislature got called back into a special session that was held yesterday. Um, session was called for one o'clock in the assembly. Um, That's one a.m. or one p.m. One p.m. in the assembly. But don't worry, they didn't actually convene and take their seats until I think a little bit before midnight. Um, the entire day was filled with with negotiating and and figuring out you know the best way. And I think. The, the, the key point here was mayoral control of, of public schools, but so many things got sort of... In well, New York City. In New York City, yes, right. thank you. Um, but other things, as it happens in the Big Ugly, as they were calling it once again yesterday, again, the idea is to take five or six complicated, controversial issues, roll it into one big bill, so you only have to take one big vote. It tends to get a little tricky with the debates and, and, and sort of... Is it germane to the conversation because there's so many issues in this one bill? And so you're having these debates that are all over the map a bit when you have these what they call big uglies. Um, but it seems that last night and I wasn't up for it. Uh, last night, they uh, they got it done fairly quickly in, in, in a couple hours. Um, they got the bill done, which extends mayoral control for New York City schools for two years. Um, it does a few other things. I think the most important thing is that it renames the Tappan Zee Bridge for the late uh, Governor Mario Cuomo. And so... Uh, I'm Takes sh- the name of a former governor, Malcolm Wilson, off and puts... Or maybe they're adding a name. It's going to be too... too na- unclear. I, I, <laughs> I have no objection to that. I, you know, I think... Uh, no, me neither. Just... You, you, it's, you, it's already named for somebody. But I guess it's a new bridge. So It now is a new bridge, which out. I don't think is finished yet. I think is... Well, the well, it's not finished entirely. Although the decking of the... I just passed the yesterday. The, the northbound lanes... Actually, you can you can drive across already. The southbound lanes are not fully decked, 
So it's it's actually an extraordinary thing. So out there, uh, but, no. Uh, look, I, can I look? The governor to, the go- to his that, that is a case. The gov- government can actually work. Yeah, the and it took like twenty years. And I I give Governor Andrew Cuomo credit for actually schlepping this along and getting it done. That is, and I and I I will. Now say we don't this, know what the tolls are going to be, but he got it tolls, done. But, but he one, got it done. If there's someone, we don't know how much it's going to cost, that. but. I, I, we know that government on every level has been working on on the new Penn Station for years and years. And right. You got when you know the history behind what it takes to get if something like this done. Hopefully, he'll put the same energy into fixing the MTA. Yeah, but that's the point, will. right? If you know what it takes to get something like this done, to see like we're building a new bridge, like like impossible. Right. I advocated for the longest time, and anybody who knows me is going to sort of like give a big like sort of. A big exhale. It's like I've been working for a, a new rail line to come out to Rockaway for years and years. And people, when I first started, thought I was crazy. Don't even bother with that. And it took me five years, but we actually made some progress. And so, if you focus on it, if you put the right attention to it, if you continue to, to push forward, you can actually. When is get that going to be opening? Any day now. Any day now. <laughs> but um, I, I give the, the governor a lot of credit. And so, yeah, if he wants to name it after his father, look, his father's no question. His father's legacy in New York sure. is, is tremendous. Twelve years, so, three-term governor. Um, no question, he had a he strongly and you know perennial presidential uh, aspirant, as opposed to actually never actually got into the race. Uh, let's let's discuss for a second uh, the goings on in New York City mayoral race. Big news yesterday, and I guess I sh- you know of course disclose there's affiliated with the Paul Massey campaign who terminated his campaign yesterday um, after a debate which I attended. In of the Cranes, uh, Cranes of New York. Well, that, that's time everybody. you'll never get back. <laughs> that's uh, it was actually it was actually the debate was quite enjoyable. I have to say the candidates actually did focus both of them on the issues. Uh, it was no very few political attacks, uh, real answers to questions. In fact, Greg David, the moderator, who's excellent. I mean, I, I think he's a, just a great commentator in general. Uh, talked about the fact that the candidates actually answered the questions, so it was really good. But you know, Phil. Why is it, and you know, as a Democrat, and I, I think everybody's scratching their heads, Bill de Blasio, for a lot of reasons, uh, you know, I, I'm happy to go into, I think has been a little bit underwhelming as a mayor. Um, and in fact, this week, a subway derailment in, in Harlem, and he doesn't even come. I mean, he, you know, he's the mayor of the city, and he doesn't, I mean, it just, there just seems to be something there that he's not doing that previous mayors did. Um, but no, no serious challenger right now. I mean, let's see whether Nicole Malitakis can, you know, assemblywoman who you serve with in the assembly can take uh, can take the fight to him. But really, nobody has emerged at all, which is surprising. At one point, it was thought that serious Democrats were going to get into the race. So I absolutely look. I I absolutely disagree with you. I, I don't think you're right. I think there are certain you know missteps that that any elected official is going to take. But I think overall. The city is functioning. When everybody thought that after Mike Bloomberg left office, the city was going to literally just fall apart, uh, Mayor de Blasio continues to to make sure that the city is functioning, right? That our streets are safe, that they're clean, that our that our schools are teaching our children, that, that city services are functioning. And I think that's actually happening. And so, look, any elected official is going to make, you know, faux pas or mistakes or gaffes and... And and that happens. That happens with anybody. And and sometimes they're forced, and sometimes they're unforced. But I, you know, I think this mayor has, has done a really good job. Um, and quite frankly, you could tell. But you could tell that by the fact that the Democrats did not want to take him on, did not think that he needed to be taken out, and that the Republicans are sending somebody like Nicole Malliotakis. Now, Nicole is a is a is a good friend of mine. We serve together. Um, I know her. But but she is just not ready for primetime in New York City. And, and, and I don't think her 
ideology. I don't think her views, I don't think um, sort of match up with with the mainstream New York City voter. And and quite frankly, I don't even think she's going to make this interesting. Not even interesting. Not even interesting. Um, I think uh, I think Bill De Blasio is is going to run away with this. I think he's going to run away with it early. He's going to have he has a tremendous amount of, of financial support. He has a tremendous amount of union support. He's going to have a tremendous ground game. And unfortunately, and, and this is by the way, and I I love I'm a huge fan as someone who's from Rockaway. I have a, a good place in my heart for Staten Island, right? It's a very similar type of communities. Staten Island is still the smallest borough, and so to have your sort of home base, your 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 most natural voters from the smallest borough. It gives you the the smallest foundation. Oh, in which there's to stand a profound on. disadvantage. I think. I mean, what puzzles me about it is that, and we've chronicled it a little bit on the show. as we gone along. Is the from what I perceive, and I, I know Bill De Blasio for a long time. The political missteps that he's had. I, I agree with you. The city overall, and he's benefited from a, a growing economy, um, increased uh, immigrant population. We've had he hasn't really had to make cuts. I mean, the spending is way up, um, which you know that that never lasts. Is that never good? Taxes are also up, but they're also just he seems to have this tin ear when it comes to politics, and he's a political guy. I mean, he he ran around trying to engage himself in the presidential race. Did that very poorly, I think we all know. Um, you know, with the, and then you know got a total diss from Hillary Clinton in the end. Uh, you know, he the whole thing with the gym and Park Slope just seems odd to say the least. You know, he had this feud with the with the with the uh, uh, with the police. And just never seem to, you know, always seem to have some missteps. He has a terrible relationship with the press, um, doesn't take questions, even though he talks about transparency, never doesn't like to take questions, doesn't hold media value, doesn't hold press conferences. And it's just strange. In a lot of ways, I would expect him to be good at all that stuff. And he really has had also a lot of term, a, a lot of term, um, I'm sorry, a lot of scandal in the administration. Um, yes, he didn't end up being, uh, but, you know, if you read the letter that the Manhattan DA wrote, in not indicting him or any members of his, uh, it was pretty clear that the Manhattan DA felt that wrongdoing had happened. Yeah, but this this is what I think most people don't realize. Most average New York City voters or more, most New York City residents do not care. They don't care about the idea, and this I think is part of the problem, right? Right. Like, they well, don't they care don't. They also don't ideological. vote. They also don't vote. That's true, <laughs> but like you know, I don't think you know this whole the, the Hillary kerfuffle and trying to be the leader of the left. New York City residents don't care. If the streets are clean, if the streets are safe, if if city is functioning, most people do not care. You know when people get upset? When the MTA is not working. And there's that's when they get upset, right? And it's not about like, oh, who's in charge? You know, we're seeing this debate. But what's well, he doing about it? So look, the question is of who controls the MTA. The MTA is an agency without accountability. And I let me be let me let me, I want to say this because it's actually a great opportunity. Joe Loda, who was just appointed as the new chairman of the MTA, who happens to be a great friend, is a great candidate to run the MTA. I think that um, our last MTA chairman is, is going to be hard to top, but Joe Loda is is really just a, a great guy who has, I think, historically has done a good job at the MTA, and, and he is he is the right guy to sort of lead this agency and hopefully make it better. But it's more not about leading the agency, it's about accountability, right? Someone has to be in charge, and we keep seeing sort of this, this back and forth sort of paddle between, well, is it the mayor's fault? Is it the governor's fault? Who's going to be in charge? The MTA is sort of an authority that has, lead, has, has appointees from the governor, has appointees from the mayor, and quite frankly, leads to zero accountability. And so I believe, by the way, if you want to fix the problem, someone has to take ownership of it. 
If I'm the mayor, let right. the governor have it. If I'm the governor, let the mayor have it. Like, wow, but that's the problem is they just point the fingers at each other. Well, no, and I that's think, a, I think they, 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 it's part of that dysfunctional relationship. We got to we got to cut this off because we two very important things to talk about. Um, uh, well, well, one of them, your your good buddy, and I think it could be a sign of times to go. Anthony Berdisi, assemblyman, had, did not get into the race two years ago to run for Congress in up in the Mohawk Valley, but decided to get in now. Uh, does that portend a uh, people? Democrats feeling that they are ascendant. This is not, you know, we talk about we just talked about sacrificial lambs, right, in New York City, people running for the sake of running, not ready for the big time, but you're talking about a race in, in, a, in a in a district that I think can go 50-50, right? It's not a... It's, it's, not it's a, always looked like that, but they never... Some of these upstate districts don't seem to actually have that. You know, you, the Democrats think they can win, but they don't actually end up winning. And so, but that's the beauty of a race like this one. I think sort of a sign of what is going to come all across the country. Anthony Brindisi is a very serious candidate. Look, he happens to be, in, in, in full disclosure, he happens to be one of my closest friends. Um, but he's a very serious candidate. He is a very popular New York State Assemblyman, someone who is... Uh, been a darling of the right and the left. I mean, just someone who is who could seriously fundraise, who could put an operation together, and who could do uh, the best job of of showing the people sort of the dysfunction that's going on in in Washington and, and how we can fix it by focusing on the families in our communities. And I think it is a sign to come. Again, not a sacrificial lamb, a very serious candidate who I think sure. and I. I think has a, a very good chance of winning. Again, way too soon to tell, but I, I know he's going to put together a great operation. Okay, and then the last uh, thing, Lakewood, uh, just incredible. I have to. We have to mention the show. Normally, we don't want to talk about this internal Jewish stuff, but an involving scandal going on in Lakewood, just a terrible chilol sham of people abusing government benefits. And what really shocks me is a statement from my friend Dovi Honig. Uh, that he gave to a radio interview. I'm sure he regrets this. But the fact is, he said, well, you know, people are under tremendous pressure with tuition and everything and all the costs, and it's expensive to be a firm Jew, so therefore they have to bend the rules. Uh, Dovi, stay away from this. This is not good. Even Lakewood VODs, you know, totally condemn this, and, and hopefully this will this will end here. But, Phil, I have to ask you, as, as a former elected official, I know personally, as an advisor to them, how much these types of scandals affect our standing in the political spheres. Uh, what is what does it mean? It's bad. I mean, look, it's 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 a chalashem, right? It's not just about always doing the right thing, but it's the perception, right? It's you always have to be careful what you're going to do, because how will people think what I'm doing here? Um, how, do, how are they going to think that that is or, or, or that's perceived? And so you know, whenever you're acting, especially as an elected official, you always have to hold yourself to a higher, to an even higher standard. And quite frankly, we all are responsible to do that. I am very disappointed. You never want to see it. It's, it's a terrible. tremendous, tremendous chilol Hashem. And yeah, I think we're all a bit embarrassed. I mean, I think people ask me, you go in the streets, and I'm sure people are asking you, it's like, oh, I see your friends in Lakewood uh, created, uh, you know, broke the law. <laughs> it's terrible. It's as as the Va- Lakewood VOD put out a statement, there is no such thing as justified theft. And that's really what it comes down to. Uh, our spin award of the week, uh, I think far and away, Ivanka Trump gives an interview, and she's asked a question about her, her father's politics, and her response is, I'm not really involved in politics. And um, I'm sorry, uh, Miss Trump, Mrs. Trump, you work in the White House. You're West Wing advisor. That is politics. What's going on there is politics. There really is no way around it. It's like saying I, I'm really a writer, but I don't write or whatever it is. So uh, that's definitely a spin award of the week. Uh, see you next week here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned with Jew of the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.